Ephesians chapter 3 is where we left off last time. Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, before we get into that, I just want us to have a moment where you're praying with me and praying for me as we get ready to teach. So take your Bible or your iPad or your smartphone or whatever you've got. Open it to Ephesians chapter 3. Find your place and then we're going to pray and then we'll get into the Bible study. Ephesians chapter 3. Our text is verses 14 through 21. All right, everybody good? Good, thank you. Let's pray. We pause now, Father, because we want to hear from heaven tonight. We want to hear your voice. And I pray that tonight, Lord, that you'd help us as we look at the word to, to understand better how we can pray for those that we love, those those who know you, but perhaps those that could grow in their relationship with you. I pray that you would in, give us insight and you'd teach us that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and would be our guide tonight. And so, Lord, we, we ask for you to open the word and open our hearts and open our ears. That we would learn and that we would live what you show us. And then, Father, together, collectively, we want to pray for Vacation Bible School, for the privilege that we'll have next Sunday night to start off a new year of Vacation Bible School, a new year of teaching children about Jesus. And I pray that, Father, we will have many students, many kids come to faith in Christ uh, next week. I pray that as, uh, as they're coming night after night, that they would begin to understand who Jesus is and the difference he can make in their life. And I pray that many with that childlike faith would say yes to Jesus. And I pray for our workers. Prepare them, Lord. I know for many they're working a full-time job and it's going to be a hectic week just getting ready for it, much less the next week when they're in vacation Bible school. And so I pray that you'd help our, our staff and our, our volunteers, Lord, in a busy, busy week. Uh, prepare us for what you have prepared for us. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And, and all God's people said, Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. In our last study, look at your, your outline there. In our last study, we looked at the fact that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Just to re refresh your memory of what we were studying. That God's intention, we talked about this last time, God's intention and his plan is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. What was once a mystery to previous generations uh, is now to be declared by us, the church. The gospel gives us purpose and, and assurance that we're part of something big and something part of what God's doing in our world. So, in verse 14, we pick up the prayer that, God, that Paul began in verse 1 when he got sidetracked. I don't know if you remember how that goes, but look in chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, dash. And then everything after that, Paul just kind of gets sidetracked, and he starts talking about the mystery of the gospel and, and for the Gentiles and God's wonderful plan, the big plan that God, that God had for the Gentiles. And then Paul comes back in chapter 3, verse 14. Re remember how it starts in verse 1? He says, for this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, and in chapter 3, verse 14, he picks it back up. He comes back to the topic that he had 
before he got sidetracked. And here's what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory where? In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. In verse 14, Paul picks up the prayer that he began in verse 1. and He prays for the Ephesian believers that they would grasp something. He prays that they would grasp, that they would get a hold of, that they would know the love of God which is beyond human knowledge. It's a prayer that you and I can really pray for those that we care about as well. Now, when we pick up this story or, or this information, and when we begin to look at this prayer for the Ephesians, something immediately catches our attention in verse 14. I want you to look at verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. The first thing that catches our attention about this prayer is that Paul is kneeling as he prays. Now, the customary posture for Jews was, would be standing. That's the customary posture for the Jews. They would, they would stand as they pray. Kneeling to pray was a way of expressing deep emotion and a sense of urgency. But you already know that because you probably have experienced some of that yourself. I mean, have you ever noticed that if you're just quietly engaged in prayer, you might be sitting at the kitchen table or sitting in the recliner or sitting on the uh, back porch or sitting at your office desk. You're just in, you're just in what we might call... Uh, quiet, even casual prayer. But sometimes you need more than just sitting. And so sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes I stand and I pray. I, I do a lot of sitting and, and praying as I sit, but sometimes uh, I walk around the office, my study, and I'm, I'm walking around. I got the door closed, I got the blinds closed, and I'm walking around and I'm talking to God as I'm walking. Sometimes I just feel a sense of doing that. It's, it's just not enough to, to sit and pray sometimes. But there are other times when the burden is so great, you find yourself almost irresistibly, irresistibly forced to your knees. Haven't you found that to be true? If you're really burdened about something. If you're really anxious about something. If there's this overwhelming big thing that you're praying about many times, it's not enough to sit and pray about it. It's not enough even to stand and, and pray with uplifted arms. No, many times we are driven to our knees as we pray. Paul was forced to his knees as he went to God in prayer, praying about things in this letter, but more importantly than that, praying for the people to whom the letter was written. Have you ever been on your knees for some people in your circles of influence for some people? who mean a lot to you, praying that the things of God will become a reality in their life. That's what Paul is praying here. Paul is on his knees praying that the things of God will become a reality in the lives of the Ephesian believers. He's on his knees praying for the people that he cares about. 
praying that God would do something in them and not just for them. Hey, did you catch that? That might be something to write down. There's not a blank. It might just be a note that you want to write down. Sometimes the most important prayers that you can pray is not that God would do something for the people that you love, but that God would do something in the people that you love. Talk about praying for our family. We're talking about praying for our sons and our daughters. We're talking about praying for a wife or our husband. We're talking about praying for our parents. We talk about praying for people that we know and people that we love. We're talking about praying for believers. And, and so often we're just praying that God would do something for them, that God would help them and meet this need and provide the finances and guide them and help them make this decision. And we're often praying, there's nothing wrong with that, but we're often praying that God would do something for them. Perhaps the most powerful prayer you can pray for your children or for your spouse is that God would do something in them. It's exactly what Paul is talking about in this prayer for the Ephesians. He is praying for God to do something in them. Let's read it one more time, then we're going to break it down. I want you to look in this text as Paul is praying. Look for examples of how he's praying that they would do, God would do something in in them and not just for them. For this reason, verse 14, I kneel before the Father from whom His whole family in heaven and on earth derives His name, and I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit, what does it say? In your inner being. I want you to do, I'm asking God to do something in you. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. I'm asking God to do something in you through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it's the love of Christ. I want Him to do something in you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I tell you what, if you'll take your prayer that you've prayed recently for your family, for your son or your daughter or for your spouse, if you'll, if you'll, pray that, if you'll take that prayer you've prayed recently and compare it to this prayer that Paul prayed for the people in, in Ephesus, uh, they might be vastly different. Because most of the time our prayers are God do something for them. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But if you read this prayer, there's not one place in this prayer where, where Paul is asking that God would provide finances or God would help them make a decision or, or God would help them reconcile with somebody. or God. There's none of that. Could it be? Could it be that we sometimes are too surface level in our praying? Let's, let's just continue to look at this, and, and maybe God will, will help us understand that a little bit better here in just a moment. As you pray for those that you love, there are six things I want you to remember. Get your notes out now. We're going to work our way through this. As you pray for those you love, remember these six truths. First of all, remember as you're praying for those that you love that God has the resources to meet our needs. God has the resources to meet our needs. In verse 16, here's what he says. He says, well, let, let, let's start, I'm sorry, let's start verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father 
from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. Now stop there before we even get to verse 16. Write this down on your notes. Again, there's no fill in the blank here, but just a note you might want to make. Who you pray to is more important than what you pray for. Who you pray to is more important than what you pray for. Who is Paul praying to? Talk to me, church. Who is Paul praying to in verse uh, 14 and 15? God, how does he describe him? He describes him as the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And then he emphasizes in verse 16, this God to whom he's praying. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. In other words, Paul says, I want to start out by making sure you understand who it is you're praying to. I want you to know a little bit about his resources. I want you to know a little bit about his power and what's at his disposal. I pray that out of his glorious riches, you might want to underline that in your Bible, his glorious riches, not your meager results, not your meager resources, but out of his glorious riches, Paul is saying, I'm praying that he would answer this prayer. The, the New Living Translation says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will give you mighty inner strength through his Holy Spirit. You see, here's the idea. The idea is that when you come to God in prayer for yourself or for someone else, you can't ask too much of God. You can never ask too much of God. Somebody be honest here. Now, have your kids ever asked you for something that you wanted to give them, but you just didn't have the resources to do it? That ever happened? How does that make you feel? Awful. It's like, man, I wish we could do that. Oh, I just and, and you and your wife or you and your husband, you're sitting, you're trying to figure out a way to make it happen. You can't figure out a way to make You want it to happen. You want to do for them. You want to give them what they're asking for, but you just don't have the resources to make it happen. I'll tell you something. God will never have that conversation. God always has the resources. Always has the resources. So, look at the text again. He says, I pray, verse 16, I pray out of, that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Before we get into the second part of that verse, I just, I just want you to understand again, out of his glorious riches. That's simply saying this. That teenager that may be more than you can handle, it's not more than God can handle. That husband, that wife who might be hard-hearted and impossible to, do, to live with, uh, you, you need to remember as you're praying that you're praying to the one who specializes in making the impossible possible. God has the resources to meet the needs of our lives. There's no reason to approach Him timidly. There is no reason uh, to approach Him as if He may not be able to handle this situation. There is no need to approach Him reluctantly as though you've come too many times asking for help. When you pray, it should be with the confidence that no matter what the need is, you never strain the resources of God. I love that phrase. You never strain 
the resources of God. Some, somebody ought to tweet that now. Just put, if you don't know what tweet is, don't worry about it. But if, if you're on Twitter, that would be a good one to tweet. You never strain the resources of God. See, who you pray to is more important than what you ask for. Now, that brings us to point number two as you're praying. Remember this truth as well. God's power is available to strengthen the inner man. God's power is available to strengthen the inner man. And he says this in verse 16. He says, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. What do you need help with the most? Looking like a Christian or living like a Christian? Living like a Christian. You see, the area where we all need God's help the most is living like the Christian. It's, it's, it's not the outer person where we need the most help. It's the inner person where we need the most help. You see, the place where you face the, the temptations that you face is your inner being. Ultimately, the inner being. The place where you decide whether or not to follow God is your inner being. The place where you wrestle with the right attitude is the inner you, the inner being. The place where the battle is won or lost in the area of your affections is your inner being. If I were to ask you, I'm kind of, I've already kind of set up the question, but if I were to ask you, what's more important for God to do something on the outward part of you or the inward part of you, I think most of us would say, well, of course, it's the inner part. But so often our prayers is the outward part, Right? It's the outward part we're so focused on. And God says, but that's not what I'm focused on. God says, what I'm really zoning in on here, zooming in on, is the inner you. And notice how he does this work. This this is intriguing in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with, what's that next word? With what? Power through, key word, through his spirit in your inner being. See, notice that the power to live the Christian life is not found in yourself, but rather the source of the power is the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Some people have the idea that a Christian is like a storage battery. And we're praying, God, give me more power. Give me more power. Because God, this battery is getting weak. I'm telling you. God, this battery is draining down. God, give me more power. This battery is draining. God, this battery is about dead. I need some power. God doesn't store up the power like a battery. It is the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You have a direct connection to divine power. You don't have a battery that's going to run down. You have direct connection. You don't ask God to put in another battery. You just ask the Holy Spirit to do His work. Well, how does the Holy Spirit does this work? Well, I don't have time to get into a lot of this, but let me just say this. The Holy Spirit works in you as you yield your life to Him. As you yield to Him. As, what's the word yield mean? Somebody tell me, what's the word yield mean? What? Surrender. That's a good word. As you surrender your life to Him. Huh? Yeah, give right away. That's another good description. As, as you give right away to the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason some of you have not experienced the power of God in the inner being where you need it most 
is because you haven't surrendered. You haven't given right away. You're st- Here's what we sometimes do. You're still saying, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to make the decision. You're demanding, you want to be in control of everything. And at the same time, you want God to give you power. And God says, no, you, you, got, you got to give up. you got to give up in order to experience the kind of power where I really work in you. You've got to surrender. You've got to let go. You've got to let me have control. And he says it right there in the verse. That through, his, through His Spirit in your inner being. Number three, the third thing to remember as you're praying. Remember this. Christ seeks to dwell. Put that in the first blank. Christ seeks to dwell in your heart as Lord. As you're praying for those people that you love, as you're praying for your son or your daughter, as you're praying for your wife or your husband or somebody else that you love and care about, here's one of the things you need to remember, that Christ seeks to dwell in their hearts as Lord. Look what he says in verse 17, the first half of the verse. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the word dwell means, it's an important word, it means to settle down or to feel at home. To settle down or to feel at home. With that definition in mind, look at the verse again, verse 17. So that Christ may settle down in your hearts. So that Christ may fill at home in your hearts through faith. You see, there's a difference between being present and feeling at home. Have you ever been to one of those homes where the reception that you got, you know, you go to visit somebody and the reception that they give you is, is, is kind of formal and polite and, and you kind of get the feeling you're welcome here for a little bit you know they're being nice to you but if they don't want you to stay very long but have you also been to some of those homes where man you you just feel like you're at home you you just feel welcome there you feel like you could kick your shoes up your shoes off and, and sit in their recliner. I mean, you just feel welcomed in this home. You, you just feel like you're kind of part of the family. Those are nice visits to make, isn't there? It's kind of like when you go to, uh, kind of like when you go to your grandma's house or your grandpa's house. or They want you to stay. You go to your, somebody else's house that you know here in the, in the church. You go to their house and they're going, they're going to give you a Pepsi and a piece of pie. They're going to send you on your way. Right? Thanks for coming. Good to see you. You know, glad you came. The word here, the word picture is that Christ may dwell in your heart, that you might feel at home, or that He might feel at home. That, that He might, here's the word, He might feel welcomed in your heart. So as you're praying for those that you love, here's what what you need to pray. Pray that that God would, that that they would welcome the Lord Jesus. That Jesus would be someone that that they welcome into their hearts. And, and, And it's important that you see the word there in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. What's those next two words? Through faith. So you're praying, as you're praying for those that you love, you're praying for faith. 
Pray for faith for, those, for that son or that daughter. Pray for faith for that child. Pray for faith for that husband or for that wife. I mean, what is it that distinguishes one Christian from another? In some, Christ is just present. But in others, Christ seems to really be at home in this person's life. It's because they're walking by faith. They're living by faith. They believe in this Lord Jesus Christ. And they have welcomed this Lord Jesus Christ into their heart and into their life. And, and they're letting Him sit on the throne of their heart. What, what's the word Lord mean? Somebody give me a definition. What does the word Lord mean? Huh? Owner. That's a good word. Owner. Master. That's a good, those are both very good. Owner, the master. Christ seeks to dwell in your heart as Lord, as master, as owner. So here's what you pray. And again, there's no fill in the blank, but maybe write this down. Here, here's what you pray as you're praying for those that you love. Pray for that individual that they would live like Jesus is their master. They would live like Jesus is in charge of their life. How would, it cha- how would it change? Think about this. How would it change for your son, for your daughter, for your spouse? How would it change if they had the desire to live like Jesus is in control? Jesus is in charge. You know, when I'm, when I'm witnessing sometimes... And, uh, and, and I often use this in our Discover Mount Airy class when I present the gospel. Uh, and you, you've, you've seen me use this before, I'm sure, but let me do it again. Uh, when I'm witnessing, I often describe it this way. The word Lord, I describe it this way. I said, now let's imagine that, that, I'm, that we're both in a car and, and that I'm driving. And we're going to your house. And I'm driving the car and we're going to your house. And all of a sudden, I realize I really don't know the way to your house. I've never been to your house. I, I don't know the way to, to get there. And so what I do is that I, I get out of the car, and I let you get behind the wheel, and I sit in the passenger seat. Now, what I've just done is this. I've given you control of the wheel. And I've said to you, now you take us to your house because you know the way. And so I'm no longer behind the wheel. Now you are. You're in charge of the car, and you're taking us where we need to go. And then I say to those people that I'm witnessing to, that's what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life. When you make Jesus Lord of your life, you're saying, Jesus, I get out from behind the steering wheel of my life. You're in charge now. You take me where you want me to go. So as you're praying for those that you love, pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts. They would welcome Christ into their life and that He would be Lord in their life, that they would allow Jesus to take the steering wheel of their heart and of their life. All right, here's the next one. What number are we on? Number four. As you're praying for those you love, number four, remember God's love is something we can know and experience. Put in the word know there. God's love is something we can know and experience. Here's what he says. Second half of verse 17. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. 
this is probably one of my favorite parts of this prayer. And I want you to listen very carefully, follow along very carefully as we kind of work our way through this text. Paul uses two word pictures to describe the importance of knowing and experiencing Christ's love. The first word is a word, the word rooted. What verse is that in, church? 17, being rooted. Rooted in what? In love. The word rooted there is a word that comes from botany. The root system of a tree or a plant penetrates the soil and provides the necessary sustenance that the plant needs to grow and be healthy. A plant will not grow unless it's rooted in the proper soil. And unless our lives are rooted in the certainty of God's love, we have set ourselves up for all kinds of emotional and spiritual problems. We need to be rooted in what? What does it say? Rooted in what? Rooted in what kind of love? What is implied there? What kind of love is it? Is it human love? God's love. Love of the Father. What if you prayed for your son and daughter? They would be rooted in the unconditional love of God. That emotionally, spiritually, they would be rooted in the love of God. It's tough being a teenager, isn't it? It's tough being a middle schooler. It's tough. I, I just saw one young man walking down the hall. I, I walked by and I said, man, how, how old are you now? And he said, I'm 10. It's tough being a 10-year-old. I, I'm serious. It, it's tough. Now, the 10-year-olds don't... Ten-year-olds don't have the problems that you and I have. But we forget, we forget when we're ten what it's like wanting to be liked by people and have buddies and all those kind of things. Uh, wanting to feel like you fit in. Wanting to feel like you're part of the gang. Wanting to feel like you're part of the group. Wanting to feel like you're, you're, a, you're a guy, you know. What would it be like if you prayed for that ten-year-old? That they would be rooted and the unconditional, supernatural love of God. It's one of the things you need to pray for your loved ones. Then he uses another word. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and, what's that next word? Established. The word means grounded. It brings to mind a solid foundation for a building. The foundation of our lives, the thing that gives us stability, is this fact that we are unconditionally loved by God. You need to be grounded in the fact that you're unconditionally loved by God. Ground, let that be the foundation of your life. So make that your prayer. God, I pray that the foundation of His life, I pray that the foundation of their life will be, Lord, that they understand your love. The foundation of their life will be that they will know that they are loved. Not just loved by me as their parent, but that they'll know that they're loved by you, God, and that your love is a love that never turns away, and your love is a love that never gives up on them. That your love is a love that, uh, the Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our kids, our family, we need to be rooted in, the, in that kind of love, and we need that as the foundation of our life. But now, this is where it gets intriguing to me. This is the reason I said this, this is probably my favorite part of the prayer. 
It's interesting to me that, listen carefully, listen, listen, listen. It's interesting to me that individually, individually, we can never fully know God's love. I will say that again. Individually, we can never fully know God's love. I will say that one more time. Individually, we can never fully know God's love. I will show it to you in the text. Look at verse 18. Let's start verse second half, verse 17 to get the context. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, notice this, together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. Now, did you see it? This is not what he prayed. He did not say, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is love. He could have said it that way, couldn't he, Ron? He, said, he could have said, I'm praying that you'll have the ability to grasp how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God. But that's not what he said. What are the words that I left out just now? Yes. Note this. That you may have power, and here's the key phrase, together with all the saints. In other words, you can't fully grasp the dimensions of God's love by yourself. You can't fully grasp how big God's love is, how great God's love is individually. Oh, we can get a picture of it. We can understand it somewhat, but we can't fully grasp the greatness of God's love individually. It's only collectively that we begin to get a bigger picture of what God's love looks like. I mean, how can you know a love that surpasses knowledge? That's that's what he says here. Verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Paul says, I want you to know this love that surpasses... Folks, that doesn't even make good sense. I want you to know a love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Paul says, here's the clue. It's not something you know individually. It's something you discover collectively. Hmm, that got me to thinking. Is he really saying that within the context of the church family is where you really get to know the love of God? I believe he is. I believe that within the context of the church family with all of its bumps and bruises, in the context of the church family with all of its struggles and strains, in the context of a church family, we come to understand the size of God's love. Example. I can know from personal experience about the love of God that God loves little children who have a tender heart and make a profession of faith at a young age. I know about God's love that way. I know about God's love that God God loves an 11-year-old boy who has a tender heart and professes faith in Christ at a young age. But perhaps you came to faith in Christ late in life. And you found through experience that God loves adults who have wasted a good part of their life in rebellious living. You know the love of God in a different way than I do. And when I share my story, and when you share your story, we can see the different dimensions of God's love. And we both get a bigger picture of God's love. 
You see, we, we, it's human nature. We view God's love through the lens of our life. We have a very small picture of the love of God. Uh, a very limited picture of the love of God. But as you tell me about how you have experienced God's love, and as you tell me, and 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 you tell me your story, you share your story of how you came to know Christ and how you've experienced God's love. And when we share our stories, then all of a sudden, the love of God becomes much, much greater. Someone else may be able to tell us about experiencing God's love as they walk through a painful divorce. Somebody else might tell us about God's love as, as they went through a tragedy and they thought their life was over. Since I've not experienced that, my knowledge of God's love grows as I hear the story of how wide God's love is, how big God's love is. Somebody else might tell us about finding God's love in a rehab center, trying to get off drugs and alcohol. And they experience the deepness of God's love in a way I've never experienced. And as they tell their story, my understanding of of God's love gets bigger and bigger. As we individually come together as a church family, we can start to grasp what Paul talks about here. How high and how wide and how deep and how long is the love of Christ. And we can know that which is beyond beyond anybody knowing from the perspective of just one believer. Now, can I put it to you this way? God's love is just too big for one individual to grasp. It really is. The love of God is just so deep and so wide and so big, we just can't grasp it individually. So, Paul says, I pray that you out of the, the you being rooted and established in love may have power together with, I love this, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How big is God's love? It is as wide as the outstretched arms of the Savior. It reaches low enough to touch the most wretched sinner. It is high enough to reconcile us to a holy God. And that just begins to scratch the surface of describing the vastness of the love of God. How big is God's love? I can put it to you this way. How big is God's love? It is as big as the cross. That's how big it is. Number five, remember this as you're praying for the people you love. Remember God's presence makes us complete. God's presence. He says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The word fullness means that there is nothing lacking in our relationship with the Father. If I were to have a measuring cup here, a quart measuring cup, When would it be considered full? Huh? When I got a quart in it. Well, even beyond that, because usually the quart is marked a little bit lower. So when is my measuring... Well, let's let's just say a glass. If I have a glass... 
let's just say this bottle of water. There's something on that. Let's just say this bottle of water. I think, think he got hair gel on it. Gross. Huh? Olive oil. Okay. Putting olive oil in your hair? <laughs> People online are saying, what in the world is going on there? All right. So we've got this bottle of water. When is this bottle of water considered full? Thank you. When it's running over. Now, when you buy it, it's not running over, is it? When you buy it, you know, it's, 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 it's about right here. But it's not technically full. Now, the company would say it's full, but it's not technically full. It's not full until it's running over. Until it's, watch this, it's not full until it's completely full. Does that make sense? It's got to be completely full. Look at the text. Look what he says. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The ultimate goal for believers is to become Christ-like. We know that. And the way that we become more Christ-like is when we say, Lord, I don't, want you, I don't want part of you. I want you to fill all of me. I don't want part of you. Did you hear that? I don't want part of you. I want you to fill all of me. There's a difference, isn't there? If you'll ask the Holy Spirit to fill every aspect of your life to its fullest, it'll give you, it will give greater value to your life and, and make you more of what you want to be. God's presence makes the difference. That might be another good little statement. God's presence makes the difference. All right, let's go to number six, and we need to bring this to a close. Number six, the sixth thing to remember as you're praying and boy, I, we could take the whole time just on these next two verses. But the sixth thing is this. Remember this as you're praying. God can do more than we can ask or imagine. He closes the prayer this way. Now to Him who is able. Aren't you glad God's able, by the way? Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Since I have taught on this verse and preached this verse not too long ago, I'm just going to hit a few of the highlights of things that I think are important in this text for us tonight. First of all, let me follow up on something I said earlier that God's greatest works are, are what He does internally, not externally. And so I want to follow up on that for a moment. Write this down on your notes. Write this down on your notes, then I'm going to uh, add to it a little bit. Only the internal things are eternal. Only the internal things are eternal. Just write that down somewhere. The internal things are the only things that will go with us into the next life. The internal things, what God does inwardly is the only thing that's going to go to heaven with us our bodies aren't going there our cars our houses none of that's going to go none of that's going to make the trip with us to heaven but only what God does internally only the changes that he makes 
on the inside. And so read the text with me again. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Within us. Now if you could ask God for one miracle in your life, knowing that he would grant your request, what would that one miracle be? You don't have to answer it out loud, but think about it. If you could ask God for one miracle in your life, knowing that he would grant your request, what would it be? Would it be to put your marriage back together? Would it be to change something about your job? Would it be to bring home a strange son or daughter? Would it be to work in the life of your husband or your wife? Would it be to heal your body? Would it be to straighten out your finances? Would it be to see a loved one saved? I want to close today by reminding you that whatever your request might be, do you regularly and diligently Every single day, bring it to God in prayer. And if not, why not? Could it be that you believe deep down that God loves you and He wants to help you, but somewhere deep down, you wonder if He really can? So Paul closes this prayer by reminding us, He really can. Say that out loud. He really can. Paul closes the prayer by reminding us he really can. He says it this way, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, not just more, but immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, he really can, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He really, really can. And so Paul closes this way, and with this I will close. Paul says, look at it in verse uh, 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. I don't know about you, I've asked for a lot of things in my life. Have you? I've asked for a lot of things. Paul says, okay, whatever you want to ask him for, just, just know this as you're praying. Whatever it is you would ask Him for, whatever it is you're hesitant to ask Him about, just know this. When you ask, remember what we started with tonight? His resources are always greater. His resources are greater than your biggest request. So He says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or... What's that next word? Imagine. Paul was saying, Okay. Just make sure you know that He can. Whatever you even imagine, His resources are still greater than that. If you really believed, if I really believed that His resources were more than I could ask or more than I could imagine, if we really believed that, we would probably pray more for those we care about. We'd probably pray more consistently. We'd probably pray more faithfully. But don't forget, and we're going to close with this statement. According to His power that is at work, where? Within us. Don't forget, God's greatest work is always the inner man. Don't forget, it's okay to ask God for the outward external things for those that you love. It's okay to ask for that. 
But don't neglect to pray for the inner person and the inner needs that they have. Let me pray with you right now. Would you close your eyes and let's just bow our heads and go to the Father. Father, we recognize that the foundation of prayer is really to realize that we're praying to the one who has unlimited power. The foundation of prayer is to come to the one with confidence. Realizing it is impossible to ask you for too much. Your capacity for giving far exceeds our capacity for asking. Your, your capacity for giving far exceeds our capacity to even imagine. And yet we struggle with prayer. I struggle with prayer. Because sometimes I, I know that you can, but I wonder if you will. But thank you for reminding us again tonight that the one to whom we are praying is more important than what we're praying for. Thank you for reminding me again tonight that the things I ought to pray about most are the things that people never see. It's the inner person, the inner struggles, the inner needs of those whom I love. And so may, may you through your Holy Spirit remind us this week just to pray for our loved ones that they would be rooted in your love. That the foundation of their relationship would be your unconditional, unending love. Remind us this week, Father, as we pray. That those for whom we are praying need to make Jesus the Lord, the Master in all their life. Remind us of those inner things, those things that we sometimes forget. And may you do a work that is immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you guys. Appreciate you.